I'm Jess. And I'm Tiff. And we're your Curious Cousins. Where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 20, part 2 of E.C. Mullendore's Mysterious Murder. Yes. Welcome. I'm not going to go over my sources because they're the exact same from last (laughs) week. So if you're curious listen to that again exactly if you have not listened to episode 19 yet do not listen to this episode until you have pause here go back listen to 19 and then come back to us yes yes do you want to give us a rundown jess of where you left off i will try to remember okay well so it was terrible you left (laughs) us all hanging i left a cling a cling on cliffhanger i hope it wasn't a cling yeah cliffhanger yes so ec mullendore had been beaten and shot in the forehead in his own home out just outside of paul huska on his massive ranch Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and his manservant (laughs) (laughs) his handyman bodyguard not Downton Abbey style. <laughs> Chubb Anderson was there in the house as well when it happened. He was upstairs, heard the gunshot, ran downstairs, found his boss. He got shot as well. And he sh- said he saw two men, yes. mob men, yes. running away from the house. He's shooting out at them, hits the door. The glass apparently shatters. He runs after Mullendor dies from his wounds, and I think that's pretty much where we left off. We had to talk some about Chubb Anderson's character, kind of what people had said about him. He was a charmer. He was likable until, but he had a short fuse and a a hot temper. and Almost like he was your best pal until you had nothing to offer him. Right, right. Or... Anyway. Exactly. And or hacked them off. So I think that's I think that's pretty much where we left off, would you say? Do yeah. we need to recap yeah. anything else? I don't think so. Um oh uh Mullendor and his his wife had just filed for divorce. Yeah, as oh well. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. And I think that pretty much covers a little recap. So let's just go right back in. Dive right in. Okay, so we did talk a little bit about Chubb Anderson and how I had mentioned in the last episode that he was no stranger to the law. Yes, yes. He had plenty of run-ins. I did find like a a list of kind of his infractions. So I just want to read it to you really quick. So here's a brief list of everything that he's gotten in trouble for. 1960, forgery and grand theft auto in Amarillo, Texas. Wow. 1965, cattle wrestling in Osage County, resulting in a seven-year sentence in Oklahoma State Penitentiary. He obviously did not serve full sentence. Isn't it funny? Not funny. I don't know. Bizarre, interesting, weird, that even up into the 1960s and beyond, I'm pretty positive beyond, Mm -hmm. that cattle rustling was still happening. Well, and if you think about it, on these big ranches, I can see how it might be a little easier. And the temptation would be there because if you're already working on the ranch, you have ample opportunity to take advantage of your position. And you probably know all the ins and outs and best places to hide out or whatnot. So he did serve a little bit of time in the Big Mac, just a little. (laughs) 
1969, he was in trouble for speeding, unpaid parking tickets, and driving without a license. Oh, jeez. 1970, battery, parole violation, <laughs> violation of the Federal Gun Act. 1971, failure to respond to an Oklahoma grand jury summons by moving out of state. Oh. 1980, cultivation of 12 tons of marijuana. <laughs> 1982. Covering all gamuts. Oh, just wait. Oh my gosh. Just wait. 1982. Poaching. Spotlighting deer. Oh my gosh. 1987. Jailed for parole violations. 1990. Cultivation of marijuana and theft in Kansas. At this point, how could he keep all of his paroles or violations? In or- like he'd need like a he didn't or he something. didn't care he couldn't remember it was lay low and don't get caught by the law that was basically his whole oh yeah MO. and you told us that he had stolen someone else's yeah, identity right. and I do want to mention we did say that he used that identity for sixteen years gosh wow yeah nineteen ninety he was busted for pot again cultivating it nineteen ninety six wanted by sheriff in Montana for assault. 2006, sentenced to Lansing Correctional Facility in Kansas. And in 2007, arrest warrant was issued in Oklahoma for parole violation. Wow. So that's his laundry list of of violations. And I don't know if that's the right word, but you know. Let's talk now about the investigation. Okay. This is the part that I've been waiting for. All right. Gary Glantz, who I mentioned to him in the first episode, he was a private investigator. At the time of the murder, he was 30-year-old private investigator from Tulsa. He was actually hired by John Arrington. Okay. And that was Linda Mullendore's lawyer. Oh, and okay. he hired Glantz on her behalf. Oh, okay. It was explained to Glantz that E.C. Mullendore had been insured for $15 million. Yes, yes. But having an enormous amount of debt and becoming involved with unsavory men from the Kansas City, Missouri, and St. Louis areas, they wanted Glantz to provide 24-7 security for Mullendore's widow and her four children. Okay, that makes sense. Glanz recalled the scene at the compound, like he called it the compound at the ranch, and likened it to a circus. Now, this is the day a- after the okay. murder. So I was that about morning. To ask at what or how quickly did he get on the scene? I think it was just like the next morning. Okay. okay. So I think he got, I think I read he got the call at like 5 a.m. or something like that. And then. Like that day, they went okay. up to Pawhuska area okay. w- where the ranch was. I wonder if it's normal for people of affluence to, like, if something like this happens mm-hmm. or if there's a mysterious death, that their lawyers have a private investigator? Or is it normal for them to get pr- their own investigators involved as well as, you know, the right. natural police? Right. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. It just said he was hired for security. Because part of me is like, wow, he was hired super fast. But I guess if he was more, it sounds like maybe he was more like a bodyguard as opposed to an actual investigator. Yes. And we'll we'll get way more into it later on. But in the beginning, that was his main role was to... And maybe not him personally Mm -hmm. doing the security, but 
to provide security, whether that, whether that was um, having other people watching the wife oh, and okay. the kids, okay. or if it was him himself. I'm unsure about that, okay. but okay. originally that's what it was. So like I said, Glenn said when he got to the ranch, it he likened it to like a circus. He okay. said it was just chaotic. Not oh, only no. were there representatives from Osage County Sheriff's Department, but from the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigation working in the crime scene as well. But there were also officials from the nearby Washington County Sheriff's Department and the Bartlesville Police Department. We got we got a lot of a lot going on. So, There's a lot of people there. Osage and we, County, OSBI, Washington County, and Bartlesville PD. Yes. Wow. Yes. And I'm almost surprised Pahuska PD wasn't there. Well, and remember, the ranch, I think, was closer to the Bartlesville end of it because yeah. it was close to Washington County. Yeah. yeah. It's technically in Osage, but closer yes. to Bartlesville than it yes. was probably to Pahuska. Yes. Which is their county seat. Right. Glanz did say that most of the people there, he called them sightseers. <laughs> oh, so gosh. they weren't well. really there to investigate or look into this, like, because it was a high profile yes. case yes, at the time. Exactly. He claims as the crime scene unfolded in front of him, it didn't take long to see that the authorities had botched things from the start. Oh, gosh. He recalled being struck by the rawness of the young Osage County deputies, and he thought it was clear that many of them had no idea what they were doing, which in a case like this, it's disturbing to think that something this bad that happened and they have no clue what they're doing. Now, I mean, that's from this private investigators thinking like, you know, well, first off, he also was only 30 years old. So I could see how if we play devil's advocate here, right, that the Osage investigators probably thought the same, maybe, or yeah. they could easily have thought yeah. the same. You Absolutely. Know, we don't. So Absolutely. We won't make any assumptions. Yeah. It's hard when we know that Osage County's law enforcement hasn't always been the very best mm-hmm. in our state. And I mean, clearly, 50 years prior to this event, mm-hmm. you know, they essentially had a serial killer on their hands. Yes. And I mean, for lack of a better word, I would say I'm not accusing him of actually being a serial killer, but it's almost like he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. He said the lack of professionalism really bothered him. Hmm. However, since he wasn't at the ranch in an official capacity, he had zero access to the crime scene because he wasn't there oh, to investigate right. he that. Just, he was there to yeah. provide protection. That makes sense. Well, anyway, kudos to them for actually not allowing him access because that, they, they at least had that going for them and they didn't just, they just weren't letting any Joe Bob off the street come yeah. in and take a looky-loo. Now, George Wayman, who was the Osage County Sheriff at the time of the murder took place, stated that for several days, it looked like the case was going to get better, but they just could never get the evidence they thought it would take to get a conviction. He said that he and other officials of the district attorney's office figured, quote, it's a highly publicized case and we didn't feel there was evidence to get a conviction. There just wasn't any percentage in trying it if you couldn't win it. I don't even know what to say to that quote because 
honestly, it just baffles me that just because you didn't really see any concrete evidence, you just decide that you weren't going to try at all. Yeah, like you didn't think that, okay, EC has been beaten. So let's look at everybody who was on the ranch last night or that night. Let's look at all their hands. Mm -hmm. Let's see if there's any defensive wounds on them. Mm -hmm. Busted knuckles. Yeah, because he was beaten. Okay, and on top of that, he was shot. So let's Uh pull everyone's firearms. Let's dust the place for prints. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this case. Fibers. This case is going to make you so mad. I'll warn you now. It's going to make you so mad. So Wayman did say that it wasn't a textbook homicide investigation. (laughs) He also said that in a lot of cases, you'll have things that don't work out or won't go right, but you can kind of overcome them and work around the mistakes. However, with the Mullendore murder case, there just was too many mistakes that couldn't be worked out. And among the things that went wrong were the fact that there was a delay in notifying Wayman's office of the shooting. Because remember, he's Osage County. Oh, that's right. That's right. And Dale Kurt called the authorities and he called the Washington County Sheriff's Office. That's right. That's right. Apparently... The phone at the ranch had been disconnected because of an unpaid bill. Okay. So there was no working phone at the Mullendore house. When authorities... when that that would make sense why Chubbs went to... Had to go somewhere else. Had to go somewhere else. Okay, okay. All right. So when authorities were called from Delkert's phone elsewhere on the... On the ranch, the call went to the Washington County Sheriff's Office instead. Okay. Also, despite Sheriff Wayman's orders to the contrary, employees of the Bartlesville Funeral Home, they cleaned up the body and began the embalming process before samples (gasps) could be taken for lab testing. Why? Yeah. It was... I don't know. Oh, my God. Uh, The sheriff said that several pieces of physical evidence that he personally knew to exist were lost in the early phase of the investigation. He said, quote, it seemed like everything went wrong. It was a case that should have been worked differently. Everything about it was screwed up. I've never worked on a case that was any more messed up. End quote. Oh, man. So it was just one wrong thing after another. Yeah. <sighs> I think I've said this a million times by now, <laughs> but we all know that the Crossbell Ranch had fallen on on, t- on hard times due to EC initiating a series of expensive improvements mm-hmm. to the ranch yeah. and went on a land and livestock buying spree, putting the ranch in $11 million worth of debt. According to Gary Glanz, the private investigator, Mm -hmm. he learned that in an effort to stave off his creditors, Mm -hmm. EC had been trying to gain a sizable loan from reputed organized crime figures who had become a regular presence at the Crossbell Ranch. This, of course, led to much speculation among Mm -hmm. lawmen and even local residents that EC's murder was a mob hit. Huh. Yeah. Okay. And Anderson's description from the night of the murder seemed to support that version of events. Okay. Now, 
Chubb Anderson was questioned extensively, as well as other recent visitors to the ranch, including some of these known crime figures. Now, Chubb did tell Del Lewis, who, remember, he's the author of The Footprints and the Doom. Yes. He told Lewis that after a while, he did start avoiding being questioned by the law. And when the Osage County investigators wanted to interview him for the third time, Mm -hmm. that's when he skipped out of town and out of state. Hmm. He didn't think about lawyering up or anything? Well, I'll get a little into that here in a minute. Um. (laughs) Glans <laughs> claims that he wasn't buying into the whole mob crime killing theory. He did arrange the 24-7 security for Linda and the kids like he was supposed to. But he said more and more it was made clear that the mob had nothing to do with E.C. Mullendore's death and that his widow and children were in no danger. He dismissed Chubb's tale about the two mob Mobman labeling it a quote John Wayne story <laughs> to his story or to heroic to be true. I agree. I, I agree. Yeah, it is pretty far fetched. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. And there were way too many details. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just way too. From almost the start, he reasoned that the prime suspect was in fact. 29-year-old Chubb Anderson. One source claimed that Chubb had been working on the Crossbell Ranch for four and a half years prior to the murder. Mm -hmm. But Dale Lewis's book that he wrote, he said that Chubb had only started working at the ranch in 1968. So... Whatever the case may be, he he was there working as a driver, babysitter, handyman, ranch hand, manservant, bodyguard, all those things. That's part of the reason why she's about to laugh because I said manservant. <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of the reason why I think Gary Glanz suspected him was because Chubb was so in the know of, I mean, he was pretty much his right-hand man is what it sounds like, just to make you even more curious. Oh, great. So here's a kooky little nugget of information. (laughs) Okay, lay it on me. The day the murder happened, Mm -hmm. earlier in the day, Chubb and EC had gotten lunch, and after they were done, EC dropped Chubb off at the shop, and I don't know what the shop they're talking about is. I don't know if it was something there on the ranch. But anyway, the point mm-hmm. is EC dropped Chubb off somewhere on the ranch. And Chubb decided to go target shooting turtles. <laughs> what? Yeah. And he did this about a mile and a half down the driveway where a small creek crossed the road. He Poor turtle. <laughs> At some point, he saw dust coming up off the road for a couple of miles so he could tell there was like a car coming his way yeah when it got closer he saw that it it was a cop with its lights flashing and the siren was going chubb was and and at this point chubb was already feeling on edge with things that were going on at the ranch including get this being fired the week before by gene ec's father and i guess maybe EC hired him back on Mm -hmm. not positive but Hmm. there's that little bit of information 
Chubb was also on probation for cattle wrestling and possession of firearms was a major parole violation, which if, like I just said, he was shooting target practice at Turtles. So he had a gun on him at the time. Karma. Yes. (laughs) He had recently been picked up for speeding and was arrested again for driving without a valid license for outstanding parking tickets. So if he got caught by law enforcement with a gun, it would not have been good for him. Oh my gosh. The officer driving was Bill Mitchell, and he was actually there because he was responsible for serving EC with preliminary separation papers. And Linda had told Mitchell who Chubb was and that he could probably help him. Mm-mm-mm. Bill Mitchell told Chubb that helping him serve those papers to EC was the best thing to do. If there was some kind of financial problem, everything would be frozen after EC got the divorce papers, and it would be good for EC and the ranch. Chubb told him he would talk to EC that night after he got back from the stock car races, and this appeased Mitchell, and he left. And apparently... They had set some kind of trap up for EC to, I guess, to hand him these papers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't completely understand it, but hmm. that's just a little bit of something I want you to keep in your okay. in the back of okay. your mind. So going back to Gary Glanz, even though Glanz had his suspicions about Chubby Anderson, he actually really liked the handyman almost immediately when he met him. And later he would recall Anderson had a, a mischievous smile to go with his habit of looking people directly in the eye. Whatever that means. <laughs> Glanza's official involvement in the case lasted about a year and a half. And the full-blown investigation took him all over, pursuing leads about the murder in Kansas City, New Orleans, and even Seattle. As time went on, the people paying him were more concerned about getting the insurance money, and then they would worry about solving the crime. Now, I just want to point out that that was Gary Glanz's opinion, like, about the... The employer's only concerned about the insurance payoff. But here's the thing. Wasn't EC's mom the one who was... His wife. The, oh, his wife was well, putting the bill for oh, the PI? No. Um, remember, his wife was paying him for security, not to investigate oh, a murder. Mother, EC's mother was paying the PI for security for the wife and kids. No, it was oh, okay. it was the widow. Oh, okay. According to Gary Glanz, he stated that he felt himself moving into an advisor and confidant role for Chubb Anderson. He said he remembered getting a call from Chubb a couple weeks after the murder as news reports were cropping up indicating that an arrest in the case was close at hand. Glantz said that Chubb had called him to ask if they could meet up. Glantz said that he invited Chubb to meet with him in his car outside a restaurant in Skytook. I wonder which one. Where they could just speak privately. Apparently, get this, Glance was recording their conversation Ooh. with a state-of-the-art reel-to-reel tape recorder. Now remember, this was the 1970s, <laughs> or 1970, and it was hidden in the trunk of the car, and a microphone was embedded in the dome light. Oh. 
that is fancy. And Chubb Anderson had no clue. He didn't okay. know. Okay. He didn't know he was even being recorded. Okay. Glanz apparently could activate the recorder when Chubb got into the car by flipping a toggle switch under the dash. That is, that is fancy. Glanz claims that he spoke straightforward to Chubb, telling him he didn't believe Chubb's story. Not only had Glanz gotten into, he said he got into this to sketch the crime scene, but he also had informants on the inside of the investigation who were passing him information. Because of this insider information, Glanz came to the conclusion that Chubb Anderson had killed E.C. Mullendore III. And when Dale Lewis interviewed Gary Glanz, Glanz told Lewis his theory on what he thinks happened that night. And this is what he told Dale Lewis. The trap, remember, that was the to get the papers, the voice papers to easy. The trap Chubb had arranged with the deputy to serve his boss with divorce papers earlier in the day and EC's idea that Chubb was having an affair with his wife had set things off. So there was a rumor going around, don't know who started it, that Chubb was having an affair with Linda Mullendore. It was not true. This is me stirring my tea right now, about to take a sippy sip. But there was rumors going around that that was happening. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So the rancher must have questioned Chubb, and after that, Chubb blew up, because, you know, he has a short temper. Yes, yes. Grabbed the gun and pistol-whipped EC in a fit (gasps) of rage. Then he shot him to cover his tracks. Yes. The stories about the mafia being involved would have been seen through quickly if the investigation hadn't been botched in the first place. Mm, yeah, yeah. The ambulance drivers had moved the mortally wounded EC and driven him to the hospital. And along the way, he died and was handed over to the local mortician where he was cleansed or cleansed where he was cleaned. Up. Yes, he was cleansed. <laughs> he was cleaned up and embalmed, Doused eliminating in water. Yeah. He was cleaned up and embalmed, eliminating any chance of lifting gunshot residue from EC to see if he did in fact shoot Chubb. But regardless, all evidence pointed to Chubb Anderson as the assailant. Now, that's what Gary Glantz told Mm -hmm. Del R. Lewis. Although, honestly, you would think they could possibly have tested his clothing. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if they've cleaned his body, it's not even 24 hours after he had died. I mean, there's no telling what they did with the clothing. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. There's no telling where the clothing's at. Yeah. Now, on Gary Glantz's website, when he claims he was being straightforward with Chubb, in the car where he was secretly recording the conversation, he came to the conclusion that Chubb had killed Mullendore probably in self-defense after Mullendore had shot him first. (laughs) He claimed that his study of blood splatters made it clear that Anderson had stopped at the top of the stairs and took the shots at the patio door. Glanz said that law enforcement officials should have figured that out too, but they botched their investigation and any physical evidence that could have been used against Chubb was not collected. He apparently told Chubb that he should get a lawyer and that if he turned himself in and explained that he killed his boss in self-defense, he would likely be exonerated. He said he has it on tape where Chubb confesses or confessed to him about killing E.C. Mullendore the third. 
Now, here's where I have an issue. He is saying on his website that, oh, it was out of self-defense that Chubb did this and I have it on tape. But then he tells Del R. Lewis that <laughs> it was he got mad because EC was going on about him having an affair with his wife. So which is it, you know? Right. Yeah. Chubb mm. did end up taking part of Gary Glanz's advice about getting a lawyer. Okay, good. I was going to say, I mean, out of everything that old Gary has said, getting a lawyer was probably his best piece of advice. Right, and he did. That lawyer would end up helping him, not just with that, but a few other things that crops up in the years. But he, however, did not turn himself in. I just want to say, doing this research and reading all about this Mullendore murder case that Gary Glanz has posted on his website, he very much seems like the type of guy who loves to hear himself talk (laughs) and to let everyone know how important his role in the case was. And what's funny is Chubb told Del Lewis before he, before Lewis went and interviewed Gary Glanz, Mm that Gary Glanz is, quote, he's a slick guy who likes to pat himself on the back a lot. He thinks he knows everything about EC getting killed, but he don't. That's what Chubb said to Lewis. Honestly, I personally agree with Chubb about him being a slick guy. I got the feeling that Glanz liked Chubb a whole lot more than Chubb ever liked Glanz. Mm. Honestly, in my opinion, now this is just my opinion, Gary Glanz is or was a shady guy. I think he's a very shaded guy, shady guy. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but just the way he went about getting Chubb's confession, if he does have it and he never turned it in, or even if he did, the court wouldn't even be able to use it because he didn't come by it lawfully. Yeah. It would be thrown out. He's a PI in Owasso. Oh, he's still working, him. is he? I had to Google him. It just, I don't know. If you get on Gary Glanz's website mm-hmm. and look at this art- article that was written about the Mullendore murder case, I'm not going to lie. Reading through it was a little bit torturous because he was so, you could tell it was about him and how he handled it. And it just was very self-appraising and I don't know what another word to say. It just... It sounds like it was more for his glory than trying to figure out what actually happened with the case. It was what what can I say or do to make me look good? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. So anyway, all right, getting off my little. He's still in business, still still working here in the Tulsa area. Oh, great. Well. Mm. <laughs> Maybe as PIs, they kind of have to be, I think, a little bit slick as it is because they typically have to work outside of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. I bet that's probably, if you were to tell him to his face, you seem a little slick, he'd probably be like, well, I kind of have to be. So I don't know. But I don't want to seem like I think that he's this horrible guy, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't really sound like a, I don't know. He's pretty slick. He sounds slick. Yes, exactly. He sounds like he is going to do what is necessary to get the job done by any means necessary. But again, I go back. He wasn't hired to investigate the murder. He was hired for protection. (laughs) So in my mind, I'm like, why is he even looking into it? And I, I wonder if he started looking into it because he wanted to be the one to solve the case because it was so high profile. Well, my next question is, who hired? Here's a PI to be a bodyguard. Good question. I don't know. Apparently, Lyndon Mullendore. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I don't know. It 
I don't know. All right. So Gary Glantz told Lewis that it was his job to establish that Mullendore hadn't killed himself in order to collect the insurance payout for the Mullendore family and that he was hired as security for Linda Mullendore and the kids. A rumor, we talked about this earlier, a rumor had begun to spread around that Chubb had been hired and paid to kill him, or maybe not that one, but there was also the rumor about Chubb and Linda Mullendore were having an affair. Yeah. We have a botched investigation, no evidence. We have suspects, but no evidence to convict said suspects, no murder weapon, and that is pretty much how the investigation went. Okay. Let's talk about the settlement. Oh, gosh. Linda Mullendore ended up marrying her attorney, John Arrington, in 1972, and they moved to Tulsa. Arrington had been a longtime friend of Linda Mullendore and represented her in her suit against the Georgia Insurance Company when they refused to pay the $15 million policy it held on her late husband. The lawsuit was settled out of court for $8 million. Terms of the settlement provided $3 million to go to Mrs. Mullendore, with the remaining $5 million, get this, going to the senior Mullendores, EC's parents. Yes. My question is, why did she only get the $3 million and his parents got the $5 million? I'm curious about that. And furthermore, what about his four children? Right. Yeah, where's the other $10 million? Yeah. Unless it was... Let's say. Well, they settled out of court for $8 million. Oh, okay. Because I was going to Even say, though the policy was for fifteen. million. I was going to say, did 10 of it get um, garnished because they were so much in debt? Well, we're about to find out. Oh, okay. Um, so this is the aftermath. The years that followed the shooting of E.C. Mullendore III on September 26, 1970, brought about a lot of changes. The ranch was forced into bankruptcy and large portions of its land and much of its livestock were sold at auction to satisfy the creditors. Okay. So family members, however, were able to save the center portion of the ranch. And I believe that means like like where the house was and the main part of the ranch they were able to, to keep. Okay. Gene Mullendore, AC's father, died in the early 1970s, and his mother remained living on the ranch until her death. I did read that Katsy, which is EC's sister, and her daughter, they run the ranch today. Oh, yes. In 2006, Chubb Anderson was arrested and sent to Lansing Correctional Facility in Kansas. He started what having... For this time? Oh, well, you're about to find out. <laughs> he started having kidney failure and was having to go through dialysis, and his health did just continue to decline after that. And at this time, he was still going by his stolen identity, Jack Everett. Oh my gosh. And this is what essentially got him caught because since he was a quote, quote, veteran, Mm -hmm. he should have been getting help from the VA, the Veterans Association. Oh, oh, because he was a veteran. Quote, he was a veteran. Yes. That's how he got flagged because (laughs) he was, he, Jack Everett, was technically dead. (laughs) The VA is like, Wait a tick. <laughs> yes. That's how he got flagged and they arrested him. He ended up in the Lansing Correctional Facility in Kansas. For identity theft? Yes. 
I can't remember exactly how long he was in there. It wasn't a super, super long time. Mm -hmm. He was eventually released, but he died in 2010 due to the kidney failure, Mm -hmm. amongst other health problems that he was having. Over the years, Chubb Anderson talked frequently to Del R. Lewis about the night of the murder Mm -hmm. that EC was killed. And Lewis was able to put together what happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read the excerpt for you. And it's from Footprints in the Dew, Chapter 40, The Last Draw, page 257. So just bear with me because it's not like super, super long, but it's a chunk. (laughs) He said that he frequently brought up the murder to me. And over the course of several conversations, a picture emerged of what had happened. He and EC had returned from using the phone at one of the ranchman's houses because it didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And EC had been talking about business as usual during the drive. And this is what he said, Chup says. Once we got back to EC's house, the conversation suddenly shifted to my supposed relationship with Linda, with EC accusing me again of having sex with his wife and hiding the whereabouts of his kids. The pay was good, but by helping Linda, I had got myself in the middle of a family fight. I didn't want any more of, and I was getting out. Now, I'm not positive what he means by helping Linda if that was with the the divorce papers or if it was something different. I'm not sure. But hadn't he already been fired at this point too? Yeah, but I think EC hired him him. back because his father's the one who fired him. But I don't know for what. Why would you rehire the person that you thought was sleeping with your wife? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no answers. It all started after EC came home from the stock car races with his mom and told me to take him to make a phone call. After we left, the house was locked, so Lonnie went to an area outside the house that we all called the playpen, which was fenced in away from the pool with a swing set and all kinds of other outdoor toys for the kids. Now, Lonnie was another ranch hand, just to point that out. There were lawn chairs for the adults to sit in while they were watching the kids. EC's insistence that I knew where the children were was the final straw. I hadn't meant to go so far, but the son of a bitch pushed me to the limit of what I would take from anyone, no matter how much money they had. I had started carrying a 38 Victor EC owned several days earlier, usually keeping it tucked under my car seat, but always close at hand. My 25 pistol was a handy little gun that fit nicely in my pocket or boot, but it wasn't a man killer like the 38 was. That night, the 38 had been tucked into the waistband of my Levi's. Through the years, I had made plenty of friends, but I also had some serious enemies, the kind of people who would kill you, and I knew it. I'd stuck the 38 in my belt after Mitchell left that day. Everything that had been going on with Linda and old man Mullendore, along with rumors that Ken Green had been spreading around around the ranch, had made me jumpy. Earlier, Lonnie had said he would wait there until we came back and I could give him a ride into town. EC and I had only been in the house a few minutes before we got into it and the boy came in, the boy being Lonnie. When I slapped EC in the face with the 38, I just meant to shut him up. Slapped, he pistol whipped him. He pistol whipped him. <laughs> I just meant to shut him up, and it surprised me that he just wouldn't back off. He kept getting up, and I kept hitting him. It seemed like hours, but it was really only seconds. I ran a little water in the bathtub 
grabbed my 25 out from under the bath towels where I had hidden it earlier and went back down to the basement where EC was lying. The shot from close range to my shoulder that Lonnie delivered with the 38 was more painful than I had expected, but it had to be done to give my story any credibility. My shoulder was really starting to hurt and I told Lonnie to get his ass out of there. He needed some time to get down the road to a point where I could pick him up as I drove off the ranch. I waited a few seconds in the basement before going upstairs and shooting through the glass doors with my 25. While I was waiting, I heard EC sucking air and the thought that he might live crossed my mind. That couldn't happen. I pulled out the 38 again, put it to EC's forehead, and pulled the trigger. So he really did kill EC. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is at some point when... And he was never found guilty for it? No. And what happened when Chubb got out of prison, out of Lansing Prison, he wasn't able to return to Oklahoma like he wanted to mm-hmm. because as soon as he returned, there was a warrant out for his arrest. Mm-hmm. So he stayed in Kansas. Kansas it was, didn't it extradite was, him? No. It was close to the Oklahoma border. It wasn't very far. And so Del Lewis would drive from, because he was a, I believe he was like a newspaper columnist or magazine writer mm-hmm. or something in Bartlesville. Okay. So he would drive up to Kansas to meet with Chubb and talk to him. Well, one day Chubb wanted him to drive him to a certain road. Mm-hmm. And Lewis didn't really want to because it was way too close to Oklahoma. Yeah. And he didn't want to get caught. Well, because Dell would have been an accomplice. Right. So anyway, they went ahead and did. They drove. And at one point, Chubb stopped him and he told Lewis it was, I think, some kind of retainer dam had been built Mm-hmm. in the years since the murder mm-hmm. and before that it was just kind of like a drainage ditch or something yeah and that was where he, or, um, i'm sorry that's where chubb had thrown the 38 caliber gun oh my god and now it's full of water and there's no way to ever recover it so you would never be able to get the mm-hmm. to get the weapon to mm-hmm. you know at this point, it's been 50 years. It's so. 53 years. Yeah. And he died in 2010. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing we can do. Right. Sadly, the legal system did fell the Mullendorf family because yes. Chubb was never charged for E.C. Mullendorf's murder while he was alive. And according to D.A. Rex Duncan, through a technicality, the so-called quote, quote, third man mm-hmm. being this Lonnie mm-hmm. will also never be charged. And that is... Wow. The end of the E.C. Mullendor the third murder. So is Lonnie still alive? I have no idea. I don't know. But here's what's crazy is what, he could be charged as just an accomplice. He didn't. Well, well, when Lonnie still kept in contact with Chubb throughout mm-hmm. all of this. Yeah. When Chubb was arrested for the theft identity mm-hmm. and was in the Lansing Correctional Facility, mm-hmm. Chubb would write, or I'm sorry, um, Lonnie would write Chubb letters in prison. He was one of the ones that kept in contact to, wow. to Chubb. And he, he was stayed. also the one who would send him money for his commissary yeah. and all that stuff. It's impressive that he stayed loyal well, and didn't tell well, the and truth. Here's, well, and the here's story. the thing, too, is Dale Lewis... I think he had talked to Lonnie at some point, but he got the feeling that Lonnie didn't like him because mm-hmm. he knew that Lewis was writing a book, not necessarily about the murder, but about Chubb's life. Yeah. And 
for some reason, Lonnie never liked Dale Lewis. And Dale Lewis actually got a really threatening letter that came from Montana telling him that he better never show his face there again. And then I think he also got a phone call that, um, a threatening phone call. And so it just kind of makes you wonder if that was Lonnie. Because when, when, Chubb got released from Lansing. Mm-hmm. He the plan was for Chubb to go and live with Lonnie mm-hmm. back in Oklahoma, and Lonnie would help take care of him because remember, Chubb at this point was having to do dialysis like yeah. every week, had to take medication, kidney failure. Right, Lonnie was going to be taking care of him, mm-hmm. and then when that fell through, Lonnie just was. Chubb at one point told Del Lewis that when he comes to visit and he sees Lonnie's truck out there keep driving oh oh don't stop don't come and visit me interesting and it just makes you wonder why Lonnie didn't like him so much but maybe that's why well I mean he'd keep in keep in he had kept (laughs) a secret for so long Mm -hmm. and even though Lonnie didn't pull the trigger and kill EC he knew who did Mm -hmm. and he he assisted Chubb in every way. I mean, he technically, he shot Chubb, so. Yeah, so wow. it just. Wow. That's not where I, I mean, thought this was going at all. But see, doesn't that, that make sense? That last excerpt does not make sense. Yes, Everything kind of lines up. Perfectly, yeah. And it just, I don't know. It, But, you know, it's still considered unsolved. Yes. Because he was never actually convicted. And mm. so technically the case is wow. still unsolved after wow. 53 years, but. It is, but it isn't. It is, but it isn't. Yeah. So wow, that was awesome. Well, I I hope that I did it great. justice because I, think, I yes, there was honestly, oh, guys, there was so much information. Oh yeah. So again, go get go out and get this book and read it and research it yourself because there's so much information that I couldn't even include because we would be here for five parts. <laughs> it's wow. just. That's awesome. Uh, wow, that was really good. You did a good job. I love it. Oh, thanks. It. I was yeah. really nervous. Oh, don't be. That was I hope I did okay. Oh, yes, it, um, I think so. Information overload and knowing <laughs> what to add and what not to put in there. You know, there was just, it was kind of like the Karen Silkwood case. There mm-hmm. was just so much yeah. information and a lot of it was just, you just didn't know what to think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, that's wow. E.C. Mullendor the third. That was great. So, all right. And I did read he was buried. Apparently, it was like the big cowboy fanfare, his funeral. And he was buried in the Molador family cemetery. So, Chubb was? No, EC. Oh. (laughs) I don't know where Chubb was buried. (laughs) Chubb was? Oh, okay. But that was great. Well, the next time. I hope it was interesting. (laughs) It was. I loved it. The next time we meet, we'll be talking a little bit more about a little. Dark history. Ooh, yeah. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, suggestions for shows, places to visit, things we should do, anything that your heart fancies, you can reach Jess and I at CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com. You can follow us on our socials at CuriousCousinsOK on Instagram and CuriousCousinsPop. Okay, podcast on <laughs> Facebook. You can also listen and follow. Give us stars and reviews on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and all other major podcast listening platforms. So, Jess, tell them what to keep it. Keep it cookie and spooky. Bye. Bye.